And welcome to Tuesday, the Puro Pelka podcast here on National Baloney Day. That's right. It's National Baloney Day this 24th of October, 377 days away from the next presidential election. Of course, the full House is up for election and about a third of the Senate. 377 days away from this National Baloney Day. But we have plenty of baloney going on today that we need to deal with. A lot of it happening in D.C. and in uh, New York City and in uh, Georgia, in Atlanta, as well as around the world. In uh, Washington, D.C., the House of Representatives trying to get its act together. Well, the GOP trying to get its act together to elect a speaker as we're now in 21 days that we have not had a Speaker of the House. That's a problem because we have this huge continuing resolution that needs to be resolved as it relates to the budget. And make no mistake, the Democrats are using all of this, all of this uh, internal bickering by the GOP to fuel the statements that the GOP can't govern. And now you're seeing the Biden upper tier start raising questions about whether or not the GOP is able to get funding to support things like the replenishment of uh, DOD stockpiles. John Kirby was on Fox yesterday talking about that very fact. You know, we've got the war in Ukraine that we're supplying with ammunition and bombs and technology. Now we've got uh, the uh, situation in Israel with Hamas and we're helping our friends in Israel. And then we have our own military that has to be constantly restocked because of all the training exercises we do as well. Kirby laid it out, and I think this is uh, setting up a little bit of blame-storming meant to attack the GOP. With every security assistance package we provide, whether it's Ukraine or, or Israel, we also do an assessment of our own national security and make sure that we have enough for our own war plans, for our own operational needs. And that process continues. But two, make no mistake, we have given a lot off the shelf to Ukraine, certainly over the last 18 months and now you know, heading in here with, with Israel, which is why in the supplemental request that the president submitted last week on Friday, there's a significant chunk dedicated specifically to replenishment of DOD stock piles we absolutely need that we need congress to support us in that in that regard there it is they're setting it up these republicans can't govern and it's hurting us not just in our own military but around the world trust me this is going to be a big deal if you can't get a speaker they're going to point out how this is just a terrible thing. Uh, Kirby also making the rounds yesterday. He was in the press briefing. He was also uh, on with uh, Wolf Blitzer on CNN talking about the Middle East and maybe possibly a war, a U.S. war against Iran. Is that even possible? So is a U.S. war against Iran possible? I think what we want to see more than anything, Wolf, is no widening of this conflict, no deepening of it. And we continue to send a strong message uh, to actors in the region, including Iran, uh, that if you're thinking about jumping in here, you're thinking about deepening and widening and escalating, uh, don't do it. We, we will take our national security interests very, very seriously in the region. Uh, and we've added to the military capabilities uh, to make sure that we can do that. But that's not a no, is it? I didn't hear a no in there anywhere. Did you? No. 
Hmm. Kirby was also out uh, giving the New York Times a pat on the back on MSNBC, who, by the way, has suffered greatly during the uh, the the terror attack in uh, Israel taking its uh, its military into Gaza. Uh, they have been quite the sympathizers over there at MSNBC, sympathizers for Gaza and ultimately Hamas. And I think America is starting to wake up to what MSNBC is. They're not on our side at all. But John Kirby was on uh, yesterday afternoon talking about the New York Times and how commendable it is that they finally, uh, just about a week after they falsely reported that Israel had bombed a hospital when it was, in fact, an Islamic militant group's rocket that hit the hospital in Gaza. Uh, Israel uh, said, uh, no, it wasn't us from the jump. But MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times, they all they all jumped on top of that. But it took the Times almost a week to say that they screwed up. The New York Times today issuing an editor's note explaining that, one, that claim by Hamas was given disproportionate weight and influence in their coverage in, in the New York Times editor's view. And two, an acknowledgement of the impact of information in this war. What do you think of that? I think uh, it's a commendable effort by the New York Times to do that. Um, I think that uh, that shows how seriously they take their obligations in, in reporting news and information, particularly in fast-breaking events. And uh, again, we, we find that uh, commendable. Commendable. Commendable six days later, six days after igniting fury around the world. Commendable that the Times waited, like I said, almost a week. And there have been rallies against Israel, pro-Palestine, and with ISIS flags showing up at those rallies. Chance of the calling for the elimination of Israel, which means a Holocaust, killing all the Jews. Commendable, you say, John Kirby. They should have never published that story without verifying it. And then to wait almost a week is not commendable, sir. It's journalistic malpractice. Even in CNN had to start walking back that stuff. But it's not only John Kirby who's, who's got a problem. It's Corinne Jean-Pierre, who in the press room seems to be trying to duck all questions as it relates to the growing amount of anti-Semitism, not just in the Middle East, but here in America, and the rise of anti-Semitism. And it's always deflected. By Corinne Jean-Pierre. She was asked about Joe Biden's level of concern right now about the rise of anti-Semitism. Listen to the deflection. His level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. So instead of talking about the anti-Semitism that is sweeping so many parts of the globe, especially in the Middle East surrounding Israel, she immediately deflects and says Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate number of hate-fueled attacks. What about the thousands killed by Hamas on October 7th 
in a terror attack that came out of Gaza, which has been harboring these terrorists for decades now. What about that? No, she immediately deflects and says, well, the, the Muslims. And then when asked about the colleges, the universities across the country where the indoctrination has taken root and people are standing up and chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That requires the elimination, the extermination of Jews. Well, she doesn't even want to talk about that. Does the president view anti-Israel protests and sentiment on college campuses as anti-Semitism? So look, I'm not going to get into what's happening across the country and at different universities. I'm not going to get into the specifics. As the admiral said, the First Amendment right, right? That's what something, a peaceful protest is really uh, part, of, part of our democracy, being able... Yes, it is. Peaceful protest. But calling for the extermination of an entire group of people is not peaceful protest. It's just not. These people are dangerous, and yet they're in office for at least another 377 days. That's how long we have until the next election. It's very disturbing, very disturbing to see these people because they just don't have any truth in them. And then at the top, you got the guy who can't even read the teleprompter. Yesterday, Joe was given a little address on Bidenomics, and I don't know why they'd send him out there to talk about Bidenomics with the current state of our economy. It is uh, teetering on a pretty serious problem, a crash coming. But uh, Joe can't even read the teleprompter. It's embarrassing. And I want to thank Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Todd Young, Representative uh, uh, Joe, excuse me, Representative Joe Morelli, and Susan Ward, excuse me, Susan Wild, for their work to make this happen. Yeah, never forget those names, even though Joe can't even read them. It truly was embarrassing yesterday. Uh, he had to duck out at the end of uh, of that Bidenomics address, uh, something to do with having to go to the Situation Room. He said, uh, I have to leave right now, excuse me, but I have to go to the Situation Room. Did that mean he had to go to the bathroom? I wonder if they call the bathroom, is that the Situation Room for Joey? Could be. Wouldn't that be funny if they, if they had a code word for the bathroom for Joe? Where's Joe? He's in the Situation Room. Again? Fourth time today. Maybe we should back down on the fiber. Just saying. Is that wrong to say about the president of the United States? I don't think so. This guy's just not correct. This is elder abuse. It is embarrassing. In, in fact, when he came out for this event yesterday, he walked out, went to the podium, and there was a guy following him, a guy named Mark, who was supposed to go out first and introduce the president. But Joe just kind of walked out and then realized, oh, I screwed up. Good afternoon, folks. I'm not introducing me. Mark is. I forgot Mark. I went, right, I went straight to the podium. I apologize. No problem. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Here's the oatmeal brain who's supposed to be speaking, and I was supposed to <laughs> introduce him, but instead he came running up here by himself. It's so embarrassing. And yet the mainstream media won't cover it. 
But America's starting to see it. There are new uh, polls out showing that the uh, cratering of the Biden support in swing states is getting to a critical point, a very critical point. So maybe we'll see uh, a shift 377 days from now. Uh, We're waiting on the uh, updates on the GOP House Speaker candidates. Uh, I hope Byron Donalds gets it. I know there's a lot of people who like uh, this uh, guy, Scott, out of Georgia. I'm not a fan of Tom Emmer. I think he's part of the old guard. You've got this guy, Hearn, out of Oklahoma who could be there. But I think Byron Donalds is the real deal. Byron Donalds is a guy who um, has uh, a great speaking voice. He's clear when he debates people. He brings the facts. Uh, He was on Newsmax the other day talking about how he's worked across the aisle with different groups of people. I just like this guy. I think he's smart. And I think it would be real in your face to the Democrats to say, hey, look, there's a black conservative Republican speaker of the House. And if you don't vote for him, you're racist. That's what I would say. But here's Byron Downs uh, two days ago on Newsmax. Uh, It wasn't going to be a big distraction. It's become that. But I think the reason why I'll be able to to get there is a couple. Number one, uh, being a member of the Freedom Caucus, I've also had the opportunity to work with members in Main Street, members who are on the the more moderate side of of our conference. We've worked well together this entire time. Uh, they trust me that when I say something that I mean it and I'm not going to try to hide it from them what the realities are internally in our conference. Uh, number two, more importantly, I believe we got to get back to work, pass our appropriation bills, get that stuff done. We got to continue to fight for securing our border, something that our entire conference can get behind. And, and number three, I think we have an opportunity to really turn this page from from this this period where we've been a little chaotic to reset the narrative politically, reset our agendas uh, here on Capitol Hill and go fight for meaningful uh, conservative policies for the American people. Bingo. I I would vote for this guy uh, a thousand times to be the speaker. Have a thousand votes if it takes that long. He's just that good. He's smart. He's articulate. He's ready to go. He brings the facts. Uh, You know, we we watched him when... uh, when the Hunter Biden story has been unfolding through the investigations by uh, James Comer. And uh, he, he pointed it out to the press. He, he was trying to show the press, hey, you guys are the ones, you're, you're just not paying attention here. There is Pulitzer Prize winning uh, reporting here if you guys want to actually do the work. And uh, a lot of the press still doesn't want to follow up on it. So maybe they will, but... Uh, Byron Donalds is just a fantastic option for the GOP. And I'm hoping that people will wake up to the fact that he's he's right there in front of you. And the, the people of Florida know it already. He's in the reddest district in the state. In case you missed it, he, he was um, talking about the Hunter Biden and, and all the Biden family accounts. We know what happened here. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden set up accounts, set up LLCs. They were hiding money, concealing money, transferring it all over the place. Hunter Biden's traveling the world when Joe Biden is there. He leaves the country when Joe Biden leaves. All of, all of a sudden, money shows up. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, a rocket scientist to see this. And what they were trying to give Joe Biden, in my view, is plausible deniability. But I will go back to the one text message more damning than any of them. Hunter Biden texting his daughter saying, "At least I don't. At least you don't have to give me." 
half your salary the way I have to pay the bills for this entire family. Something tells me Joe Biden's involved in that as well. Yeah, it's right there. It's in front of you. So give this guy the gavel and let him take it back. Take back control. Uh, So many other things we're waiting on hearing. Will there be a confrontation between Michael Cohen and Donald Trump in a New York courtroom? Uh, Will will we get any more information out of Georgia where uh, Jenna Ellis has uh, taken a plea deal in that case and she will get no jail time? She'll get probation, 100 hours of community service and a five thousand dollar fine in order to testify against her former boss. She becomes the fourth person to take a plea deal. We shall see where this goes. That whole case should have been thrown out, in my opinion, anyway. But there's other stories that we have to pay attention to, other kind of crazy stories as well. And one of them relates to Israel and the Hamas attack, the terror attack. When we started seeing Trey Yinkst from Fox tell the stories of the horrible things that he saw. And yesterday, the IDF put out a series of videos and photos showing the horrific, brutal, absolutely inhumane treatment of the Israelis by the terrorists, that you wonder how could a living human being even do that? And it appears that maybe a living human being couldn't do that. Maybe it had to be someone who was under the influence of a drug. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Well, a buddy of mine who's also a really great writer is uh, Gerald Posner. Gerald Posner has written many books. We've talked to Gerald before on the podcast, on radio shows where I've been. He is uh, the guy behind the great Kennedy book that's uh, Case Closed, the definitive Kennedy book. He wrote a book on Dr. King's assassination. He wrote about September 11th called Why America Slept. He has a fantastic book on the pharmaceutical industry called Pharma. And he's working feverishly now to uh, uncover this story about uh, drugs being used by Hamas to basically turn the fighters into killing machines with no, no center of morals at all. And um, Gerald, as I said, full disclosure, he's not just a great journalist. He's my friend. And uh, I, I wonder if he claims the same. Gerald, do, do you tell people you're my friend or, or do, you, do you deny that, sir? That's, that's the question of the day. <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. The, uh, I figure it's always going to come in handy, not only because you do a lot of great things, but, you know, at some point I might need somebody to blame a story on. I'm going to say, look at that Opelka. He's the one I got that from. Excellent. The, uh, but that hasn't happened yet. Excellent I know we point. trade good stories all the time. <laughs> yeah, and yesterday, or actually it was two days ago, I'm reading your um, your Substack post about the jihad pill, and Gerald is jaw-dropping. It sounds like an episode of, I'm going to make an old TV reference here, uh, The X-Files where there were reports of the military creating drugs that would make super soldiers out of any normal person. And yet this is where we are in this story of a drug. Let me get it right. Is it called Captagon? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mike, it was so fascinating is that uh, 
it was a small little footnote by uh, the Jerusalem Post that said, by the way, Israelis, you know, who have been collecting and, and putting the, uh, the bodies of the Hamas terrorists who were killed in Israel on that October 7th day have found Captagon in their pocket. And that didn't mean anything to most people. But, you know, for those of us who have like followed Islamic terrorism for years or the drug industry, it's the perfect merger because Captagon turns out to be what's called, it is called the jihad pill sometimes or cocaine for the poor, sort of a powerful stimulant. It's like a methamphetamine, but it's been around for years, often in the Middle East, manufactured there illegally, bringing in billions of dollars of income to, to countries like Syria, more than all their legal exports. And um, and here it is being used by the terrorists from Hamas on that day to give them a little bit more courage, to pump them up, to hype them up, so they can sort of kill without caring, as one person says. And boy, that's what Capticon does. Well, the, the interesting thing about your, your story, and especially mentioning that kill without caring aspect of a side effect of this drug, Trey Yanks from Fox News has been doing incredible work reporting yeah. On, on the terror attacks and the war, uh, he mentioned some of the atrocities and how you just can't imagine a human being doing what these people did to the children, the women, the families, all of that, as if they didn't have any moral compass at all. And if that's a side yeah. effect of the drug, then that points directly to uh, the, these reports of finding it in the pockets of some of these terrorists. And, and, you know, I mean, this is a drug. It's not just the first time that we've seen it. You know, those of us who have followed terrorism for years have seen it on, on terrorists. And we, the, the gunmen and the suicide bombers who massacred over 100 people in Paris back in 2015 at the Bataclan Theater, um, they, they had Captagon. Many of the suicide bombers who used to blow up weddings, restaurants, everything else inside of Israel and other spots in the Middle East, often found with captagon or counterfeit copies of this of this type of stimulant and i think the thing is it it you cannot if you gave it if you took a, a captagon or if i did or somebody who was a normal person we're not suddenly going to become homicidal monsters and go out and want to, to kill rape and behead babies and rape women and and burn families alive so what it is is you have to have that underlying already you've been fed all of the of the craziness and the homicidal tendencies of a terrorist organization you've now become somebody committed to it you're ready to do it you might have some natural fear or hesitation and the drug gets you over that last little bit of hesitation and allows you to do it sort of and relish it and do it with gusto and that's the part where the stimulant is so dangerous well it, it seems like it's beyond dangerous now th this was legal in in some form back in the 60s yeah, I mean, it, it, the thing is, it was actually, uh, the, cap, the name Captagon is a trade name. It's a trademark name from a German chemical company that uh, put it out in 1961, and it was to treat uh, tension, you know, sort of hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and also narcolepsy disease, like when you can't stay awake, you keep falling asleep. So it's related to speed, to regular amphetamines. But over 20 years, there was a big problem with abuse and diversion and addictiveness. And finally, the U.S. government said in 1981, 20 years after it was released, okay, we're banning it. They put it on the controlled substance number one list together with, you know, the, the worst of the possible drugs and said it's illegal in the United States. 
And by five years later, it was outlawed in most countries around the planet because of its highly addictive quality. And that's when the syndicates came in, you know, originally like Yugoslavia, uh, Bulgaria and others. And then it moves into the Middle East where these labs are set up and they make it very, very cheaply. It hasn't been trafficked heavily in Northern Europe or Western Europe. It hasn't been trafficked in the U.S. It's a drug that has stayed mostly in Southern Europe, in Greece, in Italy, in parts of Spain and Portugal, but mainly in the Middle East, so much so, Mike, that some countries have their own counterfeit version. So in Saudi Arabia, they, they have this version that has like two crescent moons on it. And uh, and the street value, they, they estimate that the Saudis uh, eat up uh, eight, 600 million pills a year still. So it's a real drug problem on the street, in the Arab street, but also it's the fuel for terror organizations and ISIS was the one who moved into it because when ISIS was growing and expanding the caliphate, they took over an, a captagon manufacturing plant in Syria, believe it or not. And they said, hey, great. And that's when they started to move it. And if anybody remembers this in like 2020, Italian authorities uh, broke up uh, the biggest amphetamine seizure in drug history, 14 tons hmm. on container ships in Salerno. It was all ISIS manufactured Captagon that had been seized, uh, you know, over a billion dollars worth of the drug. Well, we're talking with Gerald Posner, author and friend of mine and a guy who's written uh, an incredible piece on his uh, Substack. Uh, you need to go to Just the Facts and read this story about the Jihad bill. Gerald, if we're aware of these plants where all of this manufacturing of this horrific drug is going on, is there a, a chance or a speculation we might see some surgical strikes to take out these, or are they secondary targets in the middle of this uh, war? They would definitely be secondary targets, but it would be fantastic to think that we were capable of doing that. Because, Mike, one of the things that I know from my work on the fentanyl epidemic is that the DEA believes that they have isolated four manufacturing plants in Mexico that are big, that produce over half of the fentanyl that comes into the US, just four massive manufacturing mm. plants. It would be great to think we could send in cruise missiles to take those out. We're clearly not gonna do that because Mexico would be ballistic and wanting to go to war with us, but we could eliminate half the fentanyl trade with strategic hits on four big plants in Mexico. So if we could do that to the Capticon plants, it would be fantastic, but you're right, it's gonna be down the list of other priorities on this war. Uh, one more question, Gerald, before I let you go. Uh, the um, the article reads, uh, it has a stunning fact in it that uh, Al Bashir al-Assad has the control of the Captagon manufacturing in, uh, in his country, in Syria, and that it's bigger in terms of business than exports of any t kind or total exports out of Syria? Yeah, and you know what's fantastic about that is that's not, you know, uh, that's reported by the mainstream, the legacy media. The New York Times actually had an investigation back in 2020 in which they named and showed that relatives of President uh, Bashar al-Assad, all the key business people, the military people, the power structure inside of Syria involved in this trade. And the Times back in 2020 said they estimated the illegal, the Captagon trade, the export from Syria. Syria was earning about three and a half billion dollars a year. Wow. They earn about 700 million from all the legal exports of everything they do in the country. So it's remarkable that it is a narco state 
it's been that for several years, and yet you never really hear about it in the news. I mean, you hear about Syria being a failed state. Meanwhile, the people that control it are making just billions of dollars running this as a narco state. And where do we find the end result of their products? We find it in the pockets of the terrorists who are killing people in Paris and the pockets of the terrorists who are doing a slaughter in Israel. It's really a disgrace that they're able to get away with it with impunity. We call it connecting the dots. It's journalism you're not seeing in a lot of places. And my friend Gerald Posner is right at the heart of it. I encourage you, follow Gerald. He's a great follow on social media, but just the facts on Substack is worth your time. My friend, thank you for this. Mike, thank you so much. Thanks for talking about it. And there he goes, and I encourage you to follow Gerald Posner. He's great on social media, great on his Substack, always new and strong journalism on display. Uh, A couple other crazy stories we have to get to before we get out of here today. Elon Musk offered a billion dollars to Wikipedia if it would change the name from Wikipedia to Dickypedia. A billion dollars just for one year. A billion dollars. I think they've said no. Elon Musk has too much money. Dickypedia. It is funny. It is funny. I... I would change my name to Dickypedia for a year for a billion dollars. So, Elon, if you're listening, I would happily change my name. A billion dollars, maybe even half a billion, but just for one year. (laughs) Wow. A story out of England, kind of weird story. Uh, What appeared to be a dead body in the woods. People thought that maybe this was a victim of a bear mauling. Uh, hitch a, a hiker, not a hitcher. A hiker was walking along a, a country lane in the UK, noticed a foot and a hand sticking out of the undergrowth, and called the police. The police arrived with with a forensics team, and they reportedly, you know, cordoned off the road and uh, combed the area for clues for 31 hours before they announced, well. Um, This wasn't a dead body. It was, in fact, a sex doll that was dirty, broken, and somebody said overused. And how do you not realize it's not a human in the first two minutes? How do you not touch it and say, I'm sorry, this is not a human body. This is a doll. 31 hours and you were combing for clues? Somebody doesn't have a clue. Seriously, 31 hours looking for, looking for clues. Well done. Not giving a lot of confidence in the local police, are they? Uh, but there is good news. There is good news today. Mary Lou Retton is out of the hospital and back home. Mary Lou Retton, one of uh, America's sweethearts in the 80s, Olympic gold medalist. She won, I think, six Olympic medals overall, had her face on a Wheaties box, she, in her mid-50s, got a really bad case of pneumonia, was in the intensive care unit. It turns out she did not have insurance either. Her daughter put the word out and has gotten uh, a tremendous amount of support, monetary support, as well as a lot of well wishes for Mary Lou Retton. But she's back home, still fighting off some of the pneumonia, but she's at least out of the hospital. And we all know that you heal better at home. And thanks to everybody who tossed in a couple of shekels. I may have 
joined that parade as well. They needed 50,000. They that was the initial request. I believe it was over 450,000 that ended up getting donated to Mary Lou Retton. Very nice. And finally, uh, speaking of money, this is the weirdest story. Somebody, somebody stole two million dimes from a truckload of coins at the U.S. Mint. Uh, four guys are facing federal charges. Who steals dimes? If you're going to steal money, wouldn't you steal something of a larger denomination? Uh, two million dimes? What is that, $200,000? And it's got to be hard to haul around two million dimes. What, are you going to go to the coin star? <laughs> yeah, idiots. Uh, anyway, we'll watch everything that's going on in the courtroom today with Donald Trump. We'll see what's happening in the House. If there is a Speaker of the House, please let it God be Byron, Byron Donalds, the next Speaker of the House. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And uh, maybe we'll get some more, um, some more of the hostages released in Israel. I still can't believe 32 Americans dead, and there is no outrage, it seems, from this administration. Plus, how many are still missing? We need outrage. We need some outrage. We need some leadership. Just throwing that out there. Uh, all right, I'll um, I'll let you know when I'm going to be back on the radio uh, for the rest of the week. It looks like it's going to be Saturday night is the next time, but we'll do another podcast. And uh, thank you for checking out PuroPelka.com each and every day for the stories that catch my attention. And thanks for being here. Till next time, testudo, my friends. Testudo. Testudo. <laughs>